0: On this week's episode, as their movie continues onward, what is the best from Pixar? Our thoughts on Hunters and Altered Carbon, and you thought you spent a lot on a PlayStation. All this and more as we once again delve into the Pop Culture Cosmos.
1: Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos.
0: And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Joe Glassman from Pop Culture Cosmos, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, the Lakers Fast Break Podcast, and Game Source. Thank you so much for listening to all of our great programs. It wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend, well, I was going to call him our own Pizza Planet delivery boy, but I might as well just say it's Josh, whose iMac crashed. From popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. You can also check out all the great things that he's doing on his podcast, "Apocalypse," And of course, his great book, which you can buy on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble today, Congratulations, You Suck, it is my good friend, it is, Josh Peterson. Well, I'd say what's up, man, normally, but it's what's going down that crashed.
1: Yeah, the iMac went down. I, I don't like podcasting when i'm on speakers that aren't like good so you'll have to pardon the ringing in my voice i have two computers hooked up right so my second one went to plug my mouse and keyboard back into it and uh just froze and i tried to turn it off and on would not work it's still loading it's been stuck at like 98 percent for the past hour so you know whoever says apple makes the best computers is uh obviously never had this happen before there's a microsoft
0: joke in there somewhere i just won't say where but we are going to have a great show for everyone out there today. We're going to be talking a lot about what's going on with Onward because that is now out in theaters. We'll tell you how it did this weekend at the box office. Plus, because Pixar brought its latest movie out, wanted to touch on some of our favorite movies from the whole library of Pixar movies. And because Pixar has been such a great part of Hollywood over the past 30 years, we just wanted to go ahead and share our thoughts on the best Of Pixar, in our opinion, coming up here on the show. And speaking of our opinions, we're going to be sharing a lot of that on this week's show because we're going to be talking Amazon's hunters. I got a chance to check out in full, so I'll share thoughts on that. Plus, Josh is going to share his thoughts on altered carbon, which I've seen some of as well. So we'll talk about altered carbon from Netflix and also Amazon hunters coming up here in a bit. We're also going to be talking about some video games because Nintendo PlayStation. That's right. Nintendo PlayStation, it went up for auction. It was basically a prototype that wasn't meant to be because of a lot of certain things that went on behind the scenes between Sega, Nintendo, and Sony. We'll tell you how much it's sold for coming up later in the program, but also as well, not only touch on that and how valuable some of these video games and video game consoles can really get, we'll talk about some retro games from our past that we'd like to have back some of them are pretty valuable, and we'll talk about that later on in the show as well.
1: Just real quick, I watched Dragon Quest on Netflix, the movie based on Dragon Quest V. Pretty good flick, you know. I, I thought yeah, it has its cheesy moments, but it's pretty good. So, you get a chance, you're a fan of that game and the genre, check it out.
0: Castlevania is also something that is coming around, I think, for the third season, if I'm not mistaken. That is something that Netflix is also bringing out as well. It's gotten very high marks from a lot of reviewers out there including a 10 from ign so if anyone out there gets a chance to go ahead and check it out that is castlevania on netflix so it's definitely something that you might want to go out your way to see so video game series is something we're also going to talk be talking about here later on in the episode about video game series that are really influential so again we'll talk be talking a little bit more about that later in the show as well But Josh, it was onward this weekend at the box office, and we wanted to actually see how this movie fared out worldwide and kind of use this as a litmus test for what's going on with all the fear and all the things that are going on with the coronavirus and how a lot of people are concerned about going out in public and to things like, for instance, uh, going out to the movie theaters and going out and checking out your local movie at the Cineplex. That has been something a lot of people have been very wary of. We've all heard the reports of several different countries around the world that are suspending and closing theaters, obviously because of scare and the health risk aspect of the coronavirus that's out there. You know, We talked about China. We talked about Italy, South Korea, and many other markets suspending, basically for all intents and purposes, suspending their movie operations for, for people going ahead to the movies. So we wanted to understand better what it was it like and what would be the fiscal impact we know that analysts have said it could be as much as a two billion dollar loss in China and up to five billion dollars. I think it might even be more when all is said and done. That will affect adversely the box office for the movie industry. So it's definitely something to be very seriously concerned. But onward, Disney and pictures onward. I don't want to say it disappointed. I don't want to say it. It was you know might have done better had it been a different environment right about now, but it did only deliver about $40 million domestically in the United States, something that for a Pixar movie is kind of underwhelming. But remember, this is a new IP and not all their new IPs hit on all marks. Usually that's the traditional Cars, Toy Stories, and Incredibles that usually have hit very high marks. But Even their own original IPs have sometimes worked very well, like Inside Out, and even to a lesser extent Coco, but sometimes they don't always work out like The Good Dinosaur. And this movie came out to a so-so opening, even in the face of the, the coronavirus that came out, but it only did about $28 million extra worldwide from another 47 territories, according to Box Office Mojo. So That to me is a little bit disappointing because when all is said and done, Onward is probably not going to be one of the best grossing films of the Pixar library. This was the first real litmus test for the movie industry on how much the coronavirus could possibly affect a movie such as this. I think it did have a hand in it, although I don't think it's 100% the fault of coronavirus. For the results of this movie i just don't think this movie was as heavily promoted and backed up by disney as much as it should have been
1: down here i'm not really seeing like a decrease of people going out doing things because of the coronavirus you know i'm seeing a lot of people in stores buying toilet paper and water bottles and prepping for a snowstorm i'm not seeing a lot of activity that's being dwindled if that makes sense so with with onward it's interesting yes, I have not seen a lot of trailers for it. Like I, it looks really good and I have seen trailers pop up, but I'm not seeing any like billboards. You're not seeing any bus signs. You're not seeing any posters at bus stops. You're really just not seeing anything. And even going into downtown Disney, you don't see anything there. You don't see any merch. It's a lot of frozen Two just came out. So you're going into stores and seeing that everywhere. But yeah, I think there's a definite issue with marketing, but also it's, it's kind of a weird concept right because these kids are trying to bring their dad back to life and they bring back all that's all that's there is his legs so i mean i'm wondering if parents are having an issue with the both the magic aspects and like the deeper questions of the of the soul and things like that so i think it could be a mixture of things instead of many different things or it could be a mixture of things instead of just one specific but it's hard to tell man like i do want to see this movie though because i have heard really great things.
0: It's been pretty solid as far as from a Metacritic standpoint, and you're right. It's something that I would like to see, but I wasn't really super excited to see it. It's it's the Pixar brand, so you know it's going to be you know it's going to have some type of quality, but it's not one of the Pixar movies that I think Disney was really getting behind. And that's what I'm trying to say is I think Disney, even with what was going on with the scare of the coronavirus and all that, I don't think that disney pushed this film as much as they could or should have in order for it to get to a point where it could have been a really big hit film and this film whether or not it makes money long term that's going to be really really dependent on the issues going forward and the concern going forward about people going to the movies and all that because like we've said we've talked about you said in your areas in southern california there. are hasn't been much of the way of concern. People are still going out and doing things. But in other parts of the world, there are markets, like I said, that have been totally shut down as far as from a box office standpoint. So I think at this point in time, Onward is probably going to be the first of maybe many movies that could be hampered, at least in the short term, by what we're seeing from the coronavirus. I know there's a possibility that once the marketplaces open up in Italy, Japan, south korea china and other places once those markets open up and you have onward playing in those theaters that it can recoup some of the money that it made but this is a rare miss it's not a unknown miss but it is a rare miss from pixar i think as far as from the overall aspect and it's kind of tough because you had chris pratt and tom holland two major stars that have done well because of their affiliation with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and also in Chris Pratt's case from the Jurassic World series, they just didn't get it done this time around. Like I said, I think the fact that Disney just didn't promote it as a special enough movie, in my opinion, to me says that they didn't have enough confidence in this movie at this point in time.
1: I wonder if this was one of those things where like Disney would say, Hey, if you make us a Toy Story 4, we'll put out this movie for you. You know, it's like if you do something for us, we'll do something for you. Kind of like how Vin Diesel keeps doing these Fast and the Furious films because Universal has promised to fund like a final Riddick film for him. So it's or, just
0: Or maybe even a Bloodshot that's coming out this next week
1: yeah exactly so i'm wondering if there is like some kind of agreement that took place there. It's it's the same thing with andrew stanton right he said that he would do finding nemo 2 if he could do a john carter film and that didn't really turn out that was another one that disney didn't really market very well so it's you know there's a ton of possibilities there from i know we
0: always go back to john carter at every point in time i know i talk about that as a missed opportunity as someone who has seen the film, not as much as you have, and you've read the book and, and whatnot, I'm just going to say, this. I again, I enjoyed the film, John Carter, but I know there were parts of it that made it too long, that made it kind of unappealing to a mass-marketed audience, and people calling it a big bomb and whatnot. It wasn't a huge bomb, but, and it generated, oh, I think, over $300 million in the box office, just off the top of my head. So it wasn't a huge bomb per se, but it wasn't the cataclysmic box office hit that I think Disney was, you know, was hoping that it would be. Because I just think it had a story or the way it was portrayed on film has something that it really could not have translated well to a larger scope of audience. If
1: that yeah, is. well, that imp- they took, um, you know, they took three books and tried to shove them into one, which was not like the really the best. It didn't provide good pacing for the movie, but it didn't really seem like it had a lot of faith from Disney to begin with. You know, I had, I watched like this making of video of, and it had like John Favreau and a lot of Disney's like high profile filmmakers who were inspired by the Edgar Rice Burroughs novels, but it didn't really sound like Disney really backed them as well as they should have.
0: I agree with you on that. And then my daughter said the same thing as far as what you're saying in regards to John Carter about the Percy Jackson series. Could we talked about the other day about the she's she's a big fan of the books from the Percy Jackson books. And we're talking about the movie sequel, which she saw the other day. And she clearly said the same thing about how they were trying to fit so many of the, of the story or so much of one more than just one book into of the framework of a movie. And when you try to do that, you're going to get somewhat most likely uh, you're going to get most likely a disjointed film, I should say. And uh, with, john carter and with the second percy jackson movie you definitely saw the points where they were good and then there were a lot you know that was in there that was could have been eh, not so good because of the fact that simply because you're just trying to cram in so much from from so many different sources so onward you know it just didn't it's not going to go down as, as one of pixar's highest grossing movies i don't think i think it's pretty safe to say at this point in time which is kind of disappointing, but they've got another movie coming out later this year that they can go ahead and make up for that. Hopefully the climate and marketplace will be better for them because they are an outstanding company that has made so many tremendous films over the course of the years and are so relied upon by Disney for being a backbone for their their movie industry because we talked about the declining returns of Star Wars and we've talked about how Marvel... Needed to take a break. So you needed something to fill the gap for Disney. Onward is really not going to be able to fill that gap for them with any kind of success. That's kind of disappointing. But I think there's going to be more from Disney coming down the road that might make up for a little bit of that. But I know the coronavirus for the whole entire movie industry is going to be something that they're going to be feeling for quite some time. Not only Disney, but everybody else. What are your thoughts out there on Onward? Onward. Did you get a chance to see it this weekend? What were your thoughts on it? And if you wanted to and didn't because you were fearful because of what's going on with the coronavirus, we want to hear if that's impacting your decisions on going out to public places, events, or even the movies. We want to hear your thoughts on that. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, humanity Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and
2: Instagram as well you're listening to the pop culture cosmos don't touch that dial wait do, do people still use dials
0: for the latest news and information analysis and opinions on the los angeles lakers and the nba check out the lakers fast break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts well let's move back on to good pop culture subjects right here my friend we talked about what's going on with Onward and all those things with Pixar. But we, we didn't talk about the library itself. And this is something that we really haven't gone into much when it concerns the Pixar library. It's something that often gets overlooked when it concerns Disney and those great things that they have and Star Wars and Marvel and all the, the remakes from the classic movies that they're doing. And I wanted to ask you this. I want to hear your thoughts on exactly your favorite. That's You know what? Let's just pick a top five Pixar movies because there's a lot of movies in the Pixar library that you could say are really, really good and are really, really entertaining. But there's got to be like a top five you could go ahead and point to and say, hey, those are the top five Pixar films
1: I like to see. So that's actually it's tough for me because I I'm a huge fan of their short films. Like I think they're super clever. You know, and they're,
0: they're often my I have a friend that works at Pixar that works on their smaller projects such as that. And they're often, like you said, some of the best stuff that they actually put out.
1: All right. So, like, I have to say that, like, my favorite is is Brave. Really like that movie. You know, if I were to go and in, in order probably be Brave, Incredibles, A Bug's Life. I wasn't a huge fan of Dinosaur. Love the first Toy Story and then Monsters Inc. and uh, Up are probably, or not Up, but Coco are probably my top five films.
0: Well, you mentioned about six there. So if you had to put it to five, let's, oh, let's go. On. On. So Brave is your number one. Why is Brave so touching to
1: you? I don't know. It's just like you don't, it's a side, they don't make movies about that culture a lot. You know, we have Braveheart, but other than that, we don't have a lot of films about Highland culture. And there's something like it just it felt, you know, the mythology there, and it the, felt very rich, and the music was really good. And it, I, I don't know, like I feel I'm glad that Merida is considered a Disney princess. And then you
0: talked about that as your number one movie. What are is it your number two?
1: Number two, all right. I'm gonna move it up the list. Coco. I have, have like I watched that movie back when it first came out, and uh, that third act man had me balling like a baby.
0: That's it, not something unlike most of the other or a great deal of the Pixar movies that are out there that t- have a tendency to really at the end get your emotions on high
1: gear. Yeah, it does. And much like Brave, like it's it's very rich and it it's like its ethnicity, right? And it's it's culture and like the the music and the mythology that exists there. Like it's it's very well researched, it's very well done. You know, it seems like there's, it's not, you know, how Disney kind of like puts films on an assembly line, but you know that when you're getting something from Pixar, because it takes so long to craft, that there's a lot of care put into it. And Coco is one of those films that like, I will remember for the rest of my life.
0: Well, you talked about Coco and you talked about Brave. What is number three on your list?
1: Uh, number three is Incredibles, the first one. I really enjoyed that movie and that was like the last movie as a kid I went to go see with my parents and like they really enjoyed it too. You're a big fan of The Incredibles. I was not huge into the second one, but the first one is definitely a classic with me.
0: Okay, well, uh, um, I might disagree with you on that part of it. But moving on to your list, what is number four on your list of the best Pixar movies in your opinion?
1: Up is number four for me.
0: Why do you like Ed Asner being a grouch for the entire movie?
1: Well, it's it's one of those movies where like it feels like a story your grandparents would tell you. And as someone who like really enjoyed the story time with my grandparents, like I fell in love with that movie. You know, i like I'm not I can't watch it over and over again just because it is so heartbreaking to see. I it it's it's just it it's great. It's really it really stands out to me. And like I it just takes me back reminds me of being a kid and you know that was a journey that i was more than happy to go on and came out of the movie feeling very satisfied with it
0: so i've heard your first four my friend but there's got to be one more what is a new model five number five on your list of the top five pixar movies that you have in mind
1: bug's life i remember seeing that movie when i was a kid and like having all the toys and having everything that went with it and you know, I was really excited about that because I remember it came out around the same time as Ants. And I remember like watching A Bug's Life and then watching Ants, like wondering why that movie existed. But Bugs Life was it was it was a bug's life, man. I loved it. I loved Francis, the uh, what's the, the ladybug and the, all the, like the jokes that they threw into there. Like, it was a very well done movie. And like that was the first Pixar film that I'd seen after Toy Story. So it kind of really stuck out to me.
0: And that's the thing with Pixar is because they have so many great movies now that have been out and such a vast library, like you said, uh, well, like, like we've talked about over the years now over 20 movies strong, plus all the shorts that they've also produced at the same time as well, that it makes it hard to have such a confined list because there's so many other great features that they've had over the years that you could easily put in that top five. I mean, for every, you, you didn't even mention WALL-E, you didn't mention some of the others that have been out there, the Cars movies. I know a lot of people don't care for the Cars movies. And I think, especially after the first one kind of went downhill for a lot of people, it's just mainly for kids and things of that nature. I know that gets said a lot. It's mainly kids fare for two, at least two, the second and third. So that's why this usually doesn't fare up on those lists. But you've got WALL-E, you've got so many other different movies within the Pixar mix that are. Proven to be very good, I'm going to list out five myself. My top five, going from back to front. Number five, Inside Out, and it's just a very very solid movie. But it really starts to get at your heartstrings right there. It tugs at your heartstrings. You will not leave this movie, or you know, not back then when it's in the movie theater. But you will not leave the right now the living room couch when you watch this on Disney Plus without sobbing like a baby and i think that's probably of all the movies on pixar because most of them have a tear-jerking moment i think this may be the tear-jerkiest of the tear-jerkers that pixar have provided out there
1: because that's kind of like the most controversial pixar film out there right because a lot of parents took up issue with the fact that they were talking about mental health in a kid's movie and they're tackling some really dark subjects and there's Parts in that movie that get incredibly dark, so it's it's just interesting that that was one of your top ones because I've never heard anybody say that before. I enjoyed it, but it was just, it's just I think
0: because it goes there. I think because it it's okay. a little bit daring in that sense that that's why it it ranks up higher on my list. Wall E, there were there were actually about three or four that I could have put in that number five slot, but I think Inside Out makes it simply because of the fact that they did things in that movie even more to an extent than they have ever done before i think the closest that could come to that maybe as far as that emotional type darkness would be coco but even then it doesn't go as far or high up as as inside out to me i think as far as going and reaching out that to that dark of a level I think uh, I'll bring up, I'll, bring, I'll give you a hint. Coco's coming up here in a second, but that's for not just that reason, but, but even more. And I'll talk that, about that in stack. Number four is Toy Story 3, which I think is the best of the Toy Story movies. Toy Story 3 and Toy Story 2 are right there for me. And that was also, Toy Story 2 could have been in my top five easily, but Toy Story 3, I think of the Toy Story films, is just a little bit above the rest. And I think it's because that last act was something that I, I was ready to go ahead and say, you know what? This has been a great trilogy of films in movie history. I'm really happy with the way this series concluded. I really was fine with the Toy Story series ending. And that's because Toy Story 3, with its ups and downs, was really a good film. And I was just so, so happy to have experienced it all from Toy Story 1 to 3. Toy Story 4 isn't a bad film. It wasn't really necessary. I, I just, you know, okay, they're back. The guys are back. The gang is back. It was a solid movie for what it was, but it really didn't inspire me, to, you know, in the way that Toy Story 3 did because I was ready to you know, say, you know what, say goodbye to the series of Toy Story 3 because it was so well done. And the, the conclusion of it was really a nice way to go out on a high note. And I think they were ready to conclude the Toy Story series. And I just think Disney brought Or or like we talked about with with Disney before, maybe Disney influenced them with the cashola to bring back Toy Story one more time to a newer generation uh, and maybe a younger generation so that they can, you know, obviously, like you've talked about before, selling the toys and la 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 and all that. That's probably the reasoning by bringing Toy Story back. But Toy Story 3 ended the Toy Story series at that point in time on a fabulous note. Number three is Coco. It doesn't get as dark as Inside Out, but it has a lot of those elements. What it does do a little bit better than Inside Out is tell an overarching story. I think a little bit better than Inside Out. And I think it really, at the same time as pulling your emotions, it also creates a little bit better narrative at the same time. And I just truly enjoyed it. Plus, also the fact that you get something that, like we've talked about with Brave, like you talked about with Brave putting something like that, that culture being in the spotlight in that type of movie, in that type of film presented in the fashion that it did was really, I think, a very great positive. And I think it's one of the best examples that I could probably say, you know what, if if you want to learn more about a certain culture, go check out Coco. You talked about going to check out Brave in that sense. So I definitely think Coco is well worth your time, and I think it's a fabulous film, and it's number three on my list. Number two is Incredibles 2. So I'm sorry, Mr. Two. Number two is Incredibles 2. And for a time when this one came out, I thought it was number one on my list. But I went back and I saw both of them again. I wanted to, you know, not be in the heat of the moment and say, because I think on the show I said at that point in time it was ahead of Incredibles, but now that you know it's been about a two years since uh, Incredibles two came out and I got a chance to look out again and reevaluate both of them. I think by the slightest of margins, Incredibles two is number two to me. I just think it Incredibles two telled a great narrative into uh, today's environment. I think it's, it's a very empowering film. I think it sends a great message, but it's not in your face with it. I think it just does a great example as far as from not only a, a hero, but a villain standpoint Uh, There were characters that weren't as well used in Incredibles, like Frozone, for instance, that were even better implemented into Incredibles 2. So I truly appreciated everything that Incredibles 2 did. And it was just an outstanding film. But just maybe check with me five years down the line. I might feel differently. But Incredibles 2, at this point in time, I think sits me just behind the number one movie. But go ahead.
1: Do you think that they're going to finalize it with a trilogy.
0: Well, you you see the what their history has told them. Uh, Toy Stories, they went four. They are probably planning to do only three, but they went four. Cars, they did three. The Monsters, Inc. series, they've only done two. The Nemo series, they've only done two. I have a feeling they're going to do three Incredibles. I think you can still get one more good movie out of it. I think that if you try to go ahead with what they did with Toy Story and go to Toy Story 4, you're going to get something that Eh, it's good, but it's not really having that magic. I think you can keep the same magic if you went to an Incredibles 3. Because for me, the number one movie is The Incredibles. When I watch it and I've seen it many times now, I think it just has that staying power. And I think that's probably why I made it number one it's because it's a movie you can watch today and have the same feelings as if you you know if you're watching it for the first time that someone back 15 years ago when the movie came out, had when they watched that film. It's just something that it doesn't feel dated. It doesn't look dated. It just looks like it's a really, really good film. And you go in there and you watch it and you see the the strong narrative about family and the importance of family within the confines of that movie. And it just, it's really makes it just an inspiring film. And uh, It's well done. It's cut very well. And I just am very impressed by it. So I cannot say enough great things about Incredibles. But then again, check with me five years from now. I might say Incredibles 2 might be number one, but you never know. You never know. They're both great films. And yes, I think there could be enough magic left in an Incredibles 3. So what are your thoughts out there on your top five picks for Pixar? Please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com.
2: Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Greyskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Greyskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films.
0: Well, we're on the back half of the show, my friend. Cannot thank you enough for sticking around. Uh, It's so great to have you here. We're going to be talking a lot more great stuff when concerns pop culture. want to thank our good friends at Salt Radio because we're returning to Salt Radio. Great to be back on their station. Plus also as well, we've got a new station we want to thank being part of amongst our many stations around the world that we're on, and that is Smooth Living FM. So hopefully you'll go ahead and chance to listen to all the great stuff going on at Smooth Living FM. Cannot thank them enough for being a part of their station. And We do want to thank all their listeners for listening, as we do everyone that listens to us, either on all the radio stations that we're on seven days a week or on any of your podcast outlets. My friend, know you got a chance to check out Altered Carbon. You've been really wanting to talk about it in depth. Did you get a chance to check out more of the series? So before I go into Hunters, aka another performance for Al Pacino, I want to hear your thoughts on Ultra Carbon.
1: Okay. So, beyond what I said last week about Anthony Mackie like doing a great job of playing like the brooding character, he, he played, um, he played Kesh, yeah, Kovacs. He played him really well. Okay. So, beyond that, you know, and I love the fact that the story takes place, what, two to 300 years after the original one. Love how they brought back Poe. I loved how they kind of like talked about AI rampancy, kind of like they do in Halo and Poe's losing his mind a little bit. But I also loved how they address that humans face the same problem, right? If you get brought back too many times, you spend too much time in a stack, you do start to kind of lose your mind, your sanity chips away. So I like how they address that. And I'm wondering if that will, you know, play a big part in what's to come. Should they make another season So on the complaint side of it, I did not like how – well, I mean, I didn't dislike it, but, like, the the world in this one felt significantly smaller. I don't know if you noticed that, but, like –
0: That's the the thing. I on Last week I thought it was a little bit more broad. Uh, I mean, I just – I understand the beginnings of of last season, and I, I just thought it was explained in a little bit better detail in this season. But then I could be wrong
1: yeah but i mean and i get it you know it's from the whole point like they were doing a lot of world building last time so you have to kind of like see just how depraved you know mankind had become and they're exploring all the different aspects of that but we'd already seen that right it's already established so this one really only takes place on that one world and there's you know a lot of drama between some of these characters the other one was is a lot of investigating right by uh catchy Kovacs and he, he you're, you're seeing more characters in that one whereas this one felt you know a little more isolated more uh, less characters but more uh, you know more development with the characters that you do get on screen so there's a trade-off there uh, I did enjoy the stacks I did enjoy kind of seeing that dynamic there she you know she was very interesting her dad being the gun dealer and then she had you know they're holding her family hostage in the end of it so that was really cool. And I loved seeing the elders, right? The The alien creatures who, you know, they they were born from the trees where the Kel Falconer figured out how to, that she used that to try to figure to create stacks and how to move the human conscience from one place to another. Like that was really cool. One, did you finish the series?
0: Yes, I did.
1: Okay, so my big question here, and I'm going to spoil some things, is this, do you think that it was kind of a cop-out to kill... Takeshi, and then and then kind of say, "Oh, his thing was being stored in Poe." Do you think that was kind of a cop out? And well, no,
0: think- because they're they're obviously going if the season if does well enough and that Netflix brings it back, they're just going to bring him under a different character.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, right, but do you or, think- or a
0: different actor, I should say, a different actor.
1: I I agree, but don't you think at the same time this could have been a good opportunity for them to kind of uh, hand the show over to like the one of the two female characters who are kind of interesting in their own rights. I would agree
0: with you on that. That would have been, you know, when it concerns, you know, dig three Oh one or Trep, you know, it would have been something that I think a lot of people would have been interested in seeing and transferred over. to And it's not out of the realm of possibility. We could see whoever takes up the role of Takeshi next season could be a woman. And I'm, I would not put out of the realm of possibility that being the case. I agree with you. That would have been a good swerve is to move it into what you know, trep or dig three hundred one. You know, maybe yeah. one of those one of those two being becoming that instead of bring someone from the outside in. But I have a feeling because they want a big name, that that's exactly the reason why they're doing it. So yeah. when because Anthony Mackey is now becoming a big name in the industry because he's doing not only is he doing a lot of projects but he's doing some projects of his many projects that are working with an audience. Uh, not bes- besides just the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so they're mm-hmm. going to bring in someone with a name. It looks like to me, and I just don't think they have enough confidence in Simone Missick or Dina Shahabi as the main star individual to lead next season. They don't think that's going to draw on enough viewers. I, I'm just thinking from a Netflix point of view. Right. Uh, right. Well, uh, I, I think. I think from a performance stand- standpoint. you know, And I told you, season one for me was a hard watch. Season two was a much easier watch for me, and I I enjoyed season two a little bit more than I enjoyed season one. I could see season three. If somebody told me, hey, yeah, we're going to go ahead and make Dig 301 the Takeshi Kovacs or the star of the show next season, I would have been all in or TREP. I just don't think that they're going to go ahead and do that. I think they're just going to go ahead and bring someone else in, male or female, because the Takeshi role is perfect. Is perfect for that, that they can bring a new star in each and every year. So I, I think that at this point in time, you're going to see that as a continuous pattern for each and every season, as long as Altered Carbon keeps getting renewed.
1: Yeah. And I don't see like the, the part of Takeshi being played by a girl. Like they have, they have strong female characters on there. So it doesn't really seem like there's any point in that. I mean, I would, it just, it feels like a weird step to me, but at the same time, like I would love to see their, their, characters develop a little more outside of him you know and it would have been cool to see like maybe don't tell us Takeshi's still alive maybe save that for a season maybe three episodes into the next season like that would be cool too like maybe give those characters a chance to to live and thrive because I actually really enjoyed their arcs
0: well it looks like something that if you get a chance please check it out it's Altered Carbon season two for me it's a better watch than season one uh, and it looks like Josh has enjoyed it throughout. So if you get a chance, check out Ultra Carbon on Netflix. Before we head to the break, I wanted to go ahead and talk to you a little bit about Amazon's Hunters, now available on Amazon Prime. So if you catch it, it's really something that I think you would be interested in. Uh, you know, obviously there, you know, there's talk of the Nazi hunters and all that. Al Pacino's fronting the series. You and I spoke of when we saw it about the similarities when the first trailers came out, when we saw them about the similarities to what we're seeing or what we had already seen from the boys and how great that series is with us. I'm going to tell you, my friend, it does have a lot from the boys. It does take a lot from it. Uh, It does take a lot from the boys. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But it does have many similarities as far as the twists and the turns. Obviously, they don't have Nazis in in the boys. The the thing is here is the idea and the concept of Nazis in America, and they go ahead and hunt them down and things of that nature. And the cultural differences, and obviously the historical uh, flashbacks to the horrible things that were done during the World War II period, and and the you know people of the Jewish faith and. Uh, you know, how they were terrorized by the Nazis and, and the entire thing. You, you see a lot of the the concentration camps, many of the horrors that were that were committed and the atrocities that were committed. And, and it, not only then, but also that were done or in the series as well, later on by these hunters, then the way they pay back as far as when they find the Nazis and their retaliation and, then, and the Nazis that are living amongst Americans because of the, what happened with Operation Paperclip and all that, you see all that going on and it tells a nice narrative, but the similarities in the type of the way they structure the story, you would see and say to yourself, I saw something similar in The Boys or there'd be a twist. and are like, I saw something like that in The Boys. So I can't say that they're drawing from something that didn't work because they did. The Boys worked and it's a good series. Al Pacino is, while well, you're getting Al Pacino pretty much throughout Everyone else involved does a very solid job. You know, nobody goes out of the way to be having a a poor performance during the whole series. I think it's really solidly acted, and I think that's probably its best part of it is the the way it's structured as far as the cast is concerned and the antagonists and the protagonists going off against each other and the obvious hatred between the two sides. The twists and the turns and the story arcs that go on are very similar in structure to what we saw very recently from the boys. And I think that keeps it from being a great series, but a very solid series that, you know what I will be going into because like the boys at the very end, it does have some things in there and I'm not going to put out spoilers like we did a little bit with alter carbon, but it does have some twists and turns, especially in the final couple episodes, which necessitate you watching for next season, but also reminds you very much of what something similar we saw in the boys.
1: Do you feel satisfied with like, I know Lo- is Logan Learman, I think, is the main character in that? Do yes you, yeah, from feel-
0: Percy Jackson, which we talked about earlier. In yeah. The
1: show. Do you feel satisfied with like, where he ended up when the show was over? And are there like personalities that clash within the hunters tribe or whatever they call themselves? Oh yeah. There were,
0: there were always small clashes here or there, whether it was on the Nazi side or whether it was on the hunter side. And that ultimately, you know, the things that came out of it led to some twists and turns within both those outfits. I really think at this point in time, some of it worked for the best and some of it worked, was working against it. And, you know, it didn't help the series overall, but some of it did work out, like I was saying. I just think at this point in time, Logan Learman was a clear standout as far as what was really good about the series. I think he was very good in his role. I was very, I, I was surprised. Was surprised that he would could go ahead and be in this type of role because of the only thing I really saw him in previously or that I remember seeing him in was obviously the Percy Jackson movies and he did okay in the Percy Jackson movies I wasn't really that impressed or not impressed but I was impressed with the way he handled himself against uh, some really good actors and especially Al Pacino and how well he held and acquitted himself against uh, that type of uh, top-notch talent so I was impressed and I'm hoping to see more good things in the in the, in the the long run from Hunters. Again, it's a good series. It didn't hit me with that, you know, this is really some great stuff. But it is a good enough series to go ahead and say, you know what, I recommend it. Stick through it all the way. Stick through the highs and lows. Stick through the twists and turns. And there are lots of twists and turns in the final episodes, especially that final episode. There's some big twists there. So you got to go ahead and check it out. It is Amazon's Hunters. I do recommend it and I will be catching season two when it comes out next year.
1: It's on my queue. You know, I want to, there's, there's a few shows I'm trying to get through, but like you've spoken highly about it and the, the trailers looked interesting enough. So it is something I do plan on sitting down and watching, but uh, you know, with Castlevania, there's a lot of shows coming out, man. It's going to be a busy year for streamers.
0: And before we head on out to the break, I just wanted to say Castlevania again, a very highly rated series. I, again, is it season two or season three on Netflix?
1: It's season three. So each season has gotten more episodes. So I'm wondering if that's why it's taken so much longer to pump them out, right? So you yeah, had season one had four, season two had eight, this season has ten. Uh,
0: I think that's probably why, because you know just the sheer time it takes for the animation. But it's definitely paying off because there's a lot of outlets that are heaping advanced praise to the Castlevania series. Again, like I said, IGN has given it a 10. So that's a really good sign for it amongst other outlets that are enjoying the Castlevania series. So give it a chance when it comes out on Netflix. And you mentioned one more earlier in the show as far as video game series is concerned.
1: Oh, Dragon Quest. Yeah, it's it's just a movie. You know, it's a movie based on Dragon Quest V. It's got a cool little twist, good little message in it. It's family friendly. You can watch it with your kids so don't have to w- really worry about anything. And uh, it's definitely... It's worth watching. Like, I'd been hesitant for so long. I had that in my queue and Nino Cooney, both based on video games. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised by how good this movie was. It's called Dragon Quest Your Story.
0: And it just leads into what we were talking about in the past couple weeks about all these different projects cycling back to video games, where video games was once a taboo subject. And, you know, there were outlets or movie, the movie industry really didn't want to touch it. When they did, it would lead to a bad version of it whether it's on tv or or from a movie standpoint i mean for every one good halo series there'd be like two or three others that were utter trash or something else that was like a a final fantasy spirits within i don't know how you feel about that one but i'm not in love with that movie you know they're exactly yeah you're pointing thumbs down so that tells me what you think you know the the video game industry as a whole has not been very well represented in a movie or television medium so it's good to see that some signs are on the way sonic the hedgehog pleasant surprise critically it may not be all that beloved but you know what commercially it's been very successful you we just talked about castlevania dragon quest we see some great things on the way for that the last of us we talked about on our last episode about how that's coming to hbo so all signs are pointing to some better video game representations As gamers, it's great for us because we feel it's finally starting to get the respect that they deserve. Let's hope that continues the case. And Sony and PlayStation and HBO, they've they've all talked about more PlayStation series coming down the pike, which we could see a God of War, maybe more in the Uncharted. The Order 1886, I know that wasn't such a beloved game, but that's such a great world that they could go ahead and build upon. So I'm looking for more video game adaptations that I think really could be utilized well in a movie or streaming format. What are your thoughts out there on Hunters? What's your thoughts out there on Altered Carbon? Or any of the video game adaptations that are being currently produced or that have been shown out there recently? We want to hear your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com.
2: You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos if you need your video game fix be sure to check out retro city games located in town square on las vegas boulevard or in henderson nevada retro city games has the cure for all your video game vices retro games and games for current consoles nintendo sega playstation xbox and more retro city games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too so pick up a few games today at retro city games in town square on las vegas boulevard or in henderson nevada retro city games is your video game metropolis
0: well my friend before we head on out it's been a great episode just wanted to thank you so much and also thank everyone out there for being a part of it and listening on today's program coming up on friday's show we're going to be talking about a lot of great stuff going on including some of the movies that are coming out although my spy has been moved back again to april so we're not going to be talking about that but there's still a lot of other great things coming down the pike, including a new season of Westworld. So we're going to be talking about that on the Friday episode, the PC Multiverse and other awesome things going on in the world of pop culture as well. But before we head on out, my friend, I got to tell you, there's a couple of good things we wanted to talk about when it concerns video games because video games, still a great part of pop culture. We're just talking about video game movie adaptations. But before we head on out, did you hear that the original prototype of the Nintendo PlayStation. That's right. Before Sony made its own PlayStation, they actually were working with Nintendo to make a PlayStation together, which ultimately didn't work out. Somebody bought it at a bankruptcy auction for $75 because it was part of a scrap heap. And lo and behold, it just sold an auction for I believe $360,000, which is a nice chunk of change. And the previous owner had said that, you know what? I was actually offered over a million dollars. Very, very cool to have that. And to me, if I would have had ever chance, chance to have that Nintendo PlayStation, uh, that's probably one of the two or three things I would have ever liked in my lifetime as far as the video game standpoint. And not just from a monetary sense, just the fact that Nintendo and PlayStation having that together. But you got to read the book, Console Wars. So you and I read about the Nintendo PlayStation in Console Wars. And that's going to be adapted to a movie by Seth Rogen coming up here at some point in time down the line. But it's a great book and you get a chance to read it because it does have the Nintendo PlayStation in it. So I ask you, my friend, are there any games of yours from the past that you wish you wouldn't have given up? Because you never know, they might be worth a ton of money today. Or is it even if it's just sentimentality, it still means a lot to you that has you saying to yourself, man. I wish I would have kept that video game.
1: Yes, but first, let me say it's kind of funny how the Nintendo PlayStation, yeah, it's a collector's item. And it is, like, I, I love the story about how that was made and how they were, you know, Nintendo got, no, or uh it's Nintendo, right? No, PlayStation.
0: Well, Nintendo and Sony had a deal.
1: And, and then they had- were-
0: they got undermined at E3 by when Nintendo went somewhere else. Nintendo went, I think, with Philips, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, and then Sega, they also had a deal with Sega. There's, like, prototypes for Sega and playstation to make something together and that was kind of where the saturn was born they used the plug they kicked sony off the project and made the saturn so it's
0: and they, they, and sony didn't know about it until it got yeah they basically got put out to dry on a public floor. yeah they,
1: they they stole the patent from sony that's how the saturn came about. so it is a, just a, them coming out at e3 and saying we're going to sell our product for 200 cheaper than the saturn very good marketing
0: but it, even before that with the nintendo playstation how you know how that all worked out with with Nintendo going into a different direction, literally on the fly in a public forum and basically not telling Sony ahead of time and Sony looking at that E3, just like, oh, just like, you know, they caught with their basically their pants yeah. down.
1: Yeah, it's funny how it's, it basically is a brick, you know, it doesn't do anything. You can't play anything on it, but it's still people want to have it so badly.
0: Well, it's a part of history. At
1: this it, it is, it is. Yeah, it, it's, a, it should be in a museum, it, you know, it's cool. All right. So games here. So I have actually been like trying to get a lot of games back that I sold, you know, in my youth or to buy new games. and You know, the whole trade in system. No one no one told you that those games are going to be worth a lot of money. Right. So, like, I just got that back. Ergie's God bless the ring. You know, I originally paid 30 bucks for that game and now it's worth like 70 I just got back Legend of Legaia, Legend of but uh, yeah, I'm like trying to get a lot of stuff back. So there's there's a list of things that I really there's five games I'm going to list here that I really want that are super expensive now. So Armed and Dangerous is not expensive; you get on eBay for five bucks. But I really enjoyed that game, and I, I strongly dislike the fact that I got rid of that. Ape Escape is another one. You know, I remember have, spending hours in that game chasing the monkeys around. I don't know why I traded. I think it was when I was trying to save up money for a PlayStation Two. The third one I have is Bomberman 64: The Second Act. So that game, it was forty bucks on release, right? That was Nintendo 64 games cost about forty bucks if I remember correctly, because they were competing with PlayStation. Forty bucks on release. Now it's like on eBay for anywhere from two to six hundred dollars. It's crazy how much how expensive that is. But yeah, I remember having a lot of fun with the Bomberman series on Nintendo 64. There was one Bomberman game that came out. I don't remember what it's called, but it was not fun. It's outside the one and two. Fourth one is Castlevania Bloodlines on Sega. I remember that game was about 30 bucks when it came out and now it's worth over a thousand. So that's one I really wish I would have kept. Fifth one is Xenogears. There are a lot of RPGs released on PlayStation, but none of them were really, like, great. But Xenogears was one that definitely stands out, and that game was about 40 bucks when it came out, and now you can't find it for anywhere under 80 uh, A lot of these games, like, they they have held their worth, and now my wallet's hurting as I'm trying to get them back. So, you know, I want to show my kids these when, when, you know, when they come around. So what about you, though? What, what kind of, what's what's on the old list?
0: Well, first of all, this
1: conversation
0: came about, or this idea for a topic came about when uh, you and I got talking uh, after we did a show, and I was telling you when I used to work for a major West Coast electronics retailer named The Good Guys, which unfortunately was big in the 80s, bigger in the 90s, and it went in the toilet in the early 2000s, as many did. But the one thing that we talked about that I told you was encased up for a long time, and in fact, nobody bought it and it actually went clearance, and I don't know, somebody must have ended up buying it at some point, don't where they returned it back to, to corporate or something like that, was Clay Fighter. And the, if you have a, a pristine copy of Clay Fighter's Sculptor's Cut, that would get you a whopping right around $10,000 that's going on eBay right now, like 9850 as we're talking right now on eBay for a complete encased you know really pristine copy of clay fighter sculptor scott so you're talking about something that could have you know just has me now just i i walk by it every single day it went for regular price nobody bought it went down a price you know clearance 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 i'm just like man i feel so stupid now but oh well what can i say you know we did have a copy of clay fighter and it's still very valuable today I know the sculptor's cut is worth as much as $9,850 if you could have gotten a blockbuster. But it, you know, just the fact that you could have had the chance to have that type of game is something that, uh, just you know, uh, when you walk by at a blockbuster, you could have seen it right sitting right there. Nobody was renting that game, nobody was playing that game probably. So it's just something that it's kind of depressing because it's there and it was something that you could have had your hands on even 15 years ago, something uh. This could have been in your hands, but leading into the games that we're talking about right now, uh, you know, as far as from a standpoint of games that I had that I that I now miss, for me, thirteen on the Xbox I've already talked about here, but it's also on PlayStation Two. But thirteen, it's in the Roman numerals XIII. Tells a great story of. You having amnesia, you think you killed the president and th- there's a frame job going on. So you try to solve your own mystery while you're running from other people. It's a very good cell shaded first person shooter with a multiplayer on it. That was really fun to play. So, yeah, it's definitely something I, I wish I still had my library. Every time I go to Retro City Games, they always tell me it's sold out. And when they have a copy, it doesn't stay there very long. So it- it's something that if I get a chance to, I'll get it back in my library once again. N64 fans, since we talked about Clay Fighter, if you get an N64, you gotta have Super Mario 64 and GoldenEye back in your lives. I have those games. I enjoyed it on my Atomic Purple N64, and I regret giving those games up, along with the console itself. I think Probably because i would used it so much and I trashed the controller, but needless to say, the N64, great system, and Super Mario 64 and GoldenEye, absolutely loved them both. Gotta play his odd job. That's the best way to play the multiplayer and the great campaign that's on it. So GoldenEye and 64 and of course, all the fun you can have with Super Mario 64 and GoldenEye and 64 were probably the best games on it for me. Pitfall for the Atari 2600 is something I truly loved and enjoyed. Pitfall Harry, gotta love Pitfall Harry. I mean, that was one of the best games early on for the system. One of the most popular games of that series. It's one of the most well-thought-of and, and fondest games it's not obviously one most valuable because it's, there's probably plenty of copies out there and they're easy to get our hands on. In fact, I've seen it many times at Retro City games here in Las Vegas. So Pitfall for the Atari 2600 as a game that's fun to play for that system, I would probably say Pitfall would be one of the best. And for me, Indy 500 for the Commodore Amiga. I know everybody out there is saying, why would you want that game? You're just turning left, right, for two hours. Yes, I was turning left for two hours in that game. But for me, the memories were great because once I learned how to master it, for me, so much fun to play when you're dominating so much. And that's the, you know, when it comes to early video games, whether it's any sports games, whether it's car racing, whether it's basketball, whether it's baseball, whether it's anything, once you learn how to master those type of games, you would go ahead and you would beat whatever that they could throw against you as far as any competition. And whether it was a basketball game and you learn how to play it better than anybody or a baseball game, you know, as far as that's concerned, you can go ahead through a season and 162 and Oh, or, you know, that thrill of going ahead and completing through an entire race season or game, you know, just in a, such a dominating fashion. Once I learned how to master Indy 500 I would go for two, three hour stretch and I would go ahead and lead and win the Indy 500, 10 laps, 15 laps, 20 laps ahead of everybody else. And that to me was a blast that I haven't had in a long time. I would like that feeling again, but then I'd have to get an Amiga again. And that would be part of the problem.
1: It's a good list, man. Racing games were fun, man. Like I, I, they get a bad rap by people, but I always, I always love a good racing game. Love the Forza series, even playing the old NASCAR games. Like there's just something endearing about them especially when you have the ability to go backwards on the track and try to crash into everybody they were just good old-fashioned fun
0: and now they're all simulators and a lot of them are realistic looking and those are great or the arcade sims that are that they have out there now and, and you know obviously their graphics on them for the most part are better on than on anything else because these systems really know how to maximize the detail that goes into making these racing games but even if you're a, a big fan of iRacing that's out there as far as the sim is concerned, I mean, that's probably one of the best uh, sims that are out there, especially if you're into really spending the money and getting into it and getting into the streaming fashion that I think the racing games are really cool. But for me, it all started with Indy 500, not for the Atari 2600, because that one I really didn't like, but for the Amiga, ah. Uh, The Commodore Amiga, that's probably one of my best memories that I have of that system. I know it did a lot more than that, but for me, playing Indy 500 is probably one of the best things I could have done on the Commodore Amiga. What are the memories that you have on games that you wish you still had in your life? Share us your thoughts and your list of the games that you really would have liked to have kept and held on to. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanity Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, it's been a great episode, my friend. I cannot thank you enough for being a part of it. Any last thoughts on the way out?
1: Currently trying to get through Castlevania, so I'll have some thoughts on that soon. But I am stoked to hear that there is a Devil May Cry show coming out by Audi Shanker, the guy that makes Castlevania, and it's also gonna be in the same universe. So that's really exciting.
0: That's really exciting to hear. I mean, again, it's more of an affirmation of the video game context in its entirety that more and more of these streaming outlets, these movie companies, they're willing to take a chance on these video game properties because they're finally starting to see the value of video games and the narratives they can tell. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day.